Good morning, y'all. Good morning. And let there be light. Um, um, I felt holy light when I did that. Um, as we get started this morning, I want to, before we get started, two or three little things. Well, they're not little things, they're big things. Number one, uh, for, those, uh, for those ladies that were here yesterday, um, you had, you had uh, 55 or 60 uh, ladies worshiping, studying the Bible with Priscilla Shire and the simulcast. That was awesome. I got to sit back there and kind of do some tech stuff, and Richard got to do some tech stuff. Um, and it was awesome watching that happen. Y'all, there was 250,000 women that participated in that. You think about that. You think that doesn't change people's lives? 250,000 women studying and worshiping the same thing at the same time across the globe. It was really, really cool. So that is number one. Number two is Richard mentioned in an awkward way that you were sitting on these probably. Um, I want to mention this a little bit too, but what I want to say is invite somebody. Invite somebody. There's more of these at the connection, connection desk. Steal one from the person sitting next to you if they're not going to do anything with it. Get more from the connection desk. But invite folks to Easter. It's going to be a great day. We're going to, we're going to land the plane of the gospel according to Mark on Easter Sunday. Uh, it'll be a big, big day. It'll be a great day. And we look forward really at the end of it all, like we look forward every Sunday, to leave that Sunday with people that showed up lost and left found. That's kind of the whole point of why we do what we do at Church on the Trail. Now, it's number three thing before I get started is this. You know, you notice probably a banner hanging in the front. The, the My Church sign was down and the Church on the Trail banner was up. And, you know, we debated a little bit about do we do a big sign out there like the My Church sign was. But, y'all, them puppies are about six or $7,000. And it wouldn't be able to be moved when we build a new building. And so it made, from a stewardship of resources perspective, it would, was silly to do that. And so the banner's up, and so the name, new name of the church is up there, and it's been about five or six weeks. And we, uh, you know, I know because somebody told me two weeks ago, I said, welcome to my church. You know, so I get it. Y'all, I get it. I mean, I totally get it. Especially for those of y'all that have been here a long time, you kind of get it. Well, don't, my point is, don't feel special. Don't feel unique when that happens. Uh, last week, my wife Susan was in the car with our, I'm, I'm going to say with our grandchildren, um, at least our surrogate grandchildren, uh, two of the three, Everly and Millie Armstrong, who, who and, and Ava wasn't in the car with them, but she wasn't, was she? Yeah. Um, but those are three little girls, Stephen and Drew Armstrong's kids, and we love them. I could not love those kids any more than any person on the planet. So they're in the car, and they were just kind of talking. This happened organically. You have to listen, but listen to what they said about the name of the, of the church. What's it called, Millie? Church on the Trail. What's it called, Millie? Trails on the Trail. So, you know, we're getting her tested for dyslexia. No, we're not. <laughs> we're not. I promise you. But, the, but the, the, the point is, the trail church, church on the trails, trails on the church, whatever it is, we are, the point is, we are on the trail. And we are on the trail for Christ. And, and you know how it is, we're on the trail just to play some 
little part that, that God allows us to play to lead people to his cross. That's really all it is. And so today we are uh, continuing on in the gospel according to Mark, which again I want to remind you is really Peter's story that Mark pins. I want to remind you that you know Mark's one of the four, Mark, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, and those four are, are four accounts of our Lord's life, four accounts of, of Christ's life, written maybe from a little bit different perspective because they were really written to a different audience. Mark written to basically a Roman audience, and, 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 and the word immediately is used in the book of Mark uh, about 40 times. I think it's about 40 times because the Romans were a fast-paced society, and their culture was they bounced from thing to thing, and they never dove real deep on stuff, and they just went. It was just a very fast thing, so Mark's gospel tracks that way. It is, uh, it's very fast-paced, and last week we were in 11 and 12, Mark 11 and 12, and we flew through chapter 11. We landed in chapter 12, particularly the latter part of chapter 12, where Jesus is, uh, is really comparing the heart condition of the scribes and the Pharisees and the Sadducees, the religious leadership of the day. He's comparing their heart condition to the heart condition of this poor little sweet little uh, widow lady who puts in her two cents. That's where that term comes from, in case you didn't know that. She puts her two cents in the offering bucket. And it's two copper coins. We call them a widow's mite. That's where that term comes from because she was a widow and it was called a mite. It was a little coin that Justin Judah just loved. That He tried to steal it out of my pocket last week because I had one, if you all remember. It was cool. It was about 1,200-year-old little widow's mite that my son found somewhere. So he's, 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 he's comparing the heart condition of those two people at the end of chapter 12. And then he just immediately jumps in in chapter 13, which is where we're going to be today, to a very heavy conversation. But that's the way Mark does. That, that's the way when Mark recorded Peter's words, that's just the way that gospel is. So he jumps into this heavy conversation. And when I was studying this week, it made me think about this. Y'all, one of the, my favorite games when I was a kid was hide-and-seek. How many of y'all played hide-and-seek when you were a kid? How many of you still play hide-and-seek? Ah! Um, I love playing hide-and-seek. Clubview Elementary School. That's where I went to elementary school on Edgewood Road. Clubview Elementary. And it wasn't a, it's a baccalaureate school or something now, I think, but it wasn't then. But anyway, we used to play either, uh, before school, we used to play either tackle the man with the football, which was really destroy the man with the football, or we played hide-and-seek. I love playing hide-and-seek. And if you remember that game of hide-and-seek, somebody is an it. You remember that? Somebody is picked and they're it. And then you have to have a base. And the base is usually a big oak tree somewhere over there. And the it has to go over to the base. And he, closed, he or she closes their eyes and they count to 20. You know, 1, 2, 3, 4, 5, 6, 18, 19, 20. And then what do they say? What do they say? God, that was so much better than the first service. They took them four tries. So... That's what the it says, ready or not, you know, here I come. And so the part of the game that just echoes in my mind is that, that ready or not, here I come. And so when I was reading in Mark 13, studying in Mark 13 today, uh, it just flooded my mind with the memory of that game, that ready or not, here I come. Because Jesus in Mark 13, he's talking to his guys about the fact that he will come again that he's going to come, and that day is coming. 
And guess what? That day is coming, what? Ready or not. It's coming. Just like when you're hiding from the it, when they open their eyes, they're coming. And you better be ready. In the game, you better be ready because they're coming. And in this game that we call life, you better be ready because he's coming back. And so chapter 13 begins, in verse 3, it begins with his disciples asking him and talking to him about this end, the end time stuff. They ask him some questions, and they, it's in chapter 3, excuse me, chapter 13, verse 3, it says, And as he sat on the Mount of Olives, it's going to be up on the screen, as he sat on the Mount of Olives opposite the temple, Peter and James and John and Andrew uh, asked him privately, Tell us when will these things be? And what will be the sign when all these things are about to be accomplished? And, and you can almost hear these guys, and I bet, like Peter particularly, it's like I act like I know Peter. Um, like Peter's saying, really all of them, come on, man, can't you, come on, tell us. We need to know when it's going to happen. Go on and tell us. We won't tell anybody. We'll keep it our own little secret, you know, just like, like it's some secret knowledge thing. You know, but in the world we live in today, you w- and we're going to talk about this in a little while, it, people make it out to be some secret knowledge like you're not holy enough, but I'm holy enough, so I know the dates, December 12, 2012. You know, it's all of that kind of stuff. And the re- But the rest of this chapter in chapter 13, he spends answering that question or those questions, and he gives us some warnings, a few different warnings for in the rest of this chapter for all ages, uh, for all people of all times, and especially sitting here in 2019, we especially need to listen to his words and his warnings. Y'all, he's coming. Haters and skeptics can deny the fact all they want, but they cannot deny the truthfulness of the word. He is coming. And it ain't a kid's game on a playground because the kid's game on the playground, there's nothing at stake. In this case, eternity is at stake. And so I want to move through these verses today as we really look at the title of this message, if messages have to have a title, is Ready or Not, Here He Comes. And so there are warnings that need in these verses that need to be heard and they need to be heeded by all of us in this room. These verses are a challenge to us as believers to be ready. And they're a challenge to folks that aren't Christians, that aren't Christians but are looking for the truth, that are on a search for is God, is He real? All of the questions that all of us have to answer at some point, it's a warning for them too. It's a warning for them too. And so Jesus is coming, and what you don't want to find, or you don't want Him to find, you don't want Him to find you unprepared for that day. So let's look at some of His words, some of the warnings. Number one, and there's three of these, I think, are the signs of His coming. There may be a hundred, but I, I want to talk about three because I think most of them fit maybe into these three buckets. Number one is that there are that they're clear signs. They're, and you, if you've got a worship guide, these are some fill-in-the-blanks in there. But verse 28 says, From the fig tree learn its lesson. As soon as its branches become tender and put out, uh, puts out its leaves, you know that summer is near. So also, you know when he says so also, it's a comparison. Whenever you read that in the text, he's comparing what came before what, to what's coming after. So also, when you see these things taking place, you know that he is near at the very gates. And so it was springtime when Jesus, there, 
They're on the Mount of they're at the Mount of Olives, and they're looking at the temple, and it's the springtime. Things are in bloom, and he and his guys are sitting there, and all around them are the signs of God's creation screaming at them that the seasons are about to change. Um, flowers are in bloom. In this case, he says the fig tree, the leaves are full, the leaves are in bloom. And Jesus is using this fig tree to illustrate, and we're going to come back to that too, but he's using this fig tree to illustrate a truth that he wants his guys to understand. In particular, it's just the four guys right now. And he uses the fig tree to illustrate a spiritual truth. When the, when the, the leaves are in full bloom on a fig tree, it is a clear sign that the summer's coming. You can't get away from it. The summer's coming. Don't all of y'all, if you have lived in Columbus longer than a year and have survived a, a, an August in Columbus, don't you know that come about beginning of June and flowers are blooming, that we're all dreading 60 days later when the humidity is 12,000% and it's 105 degrees? But you know when you're seeing those flowers bloom in June, you know it's coming. And guess what? Can you do anything about it? No, you can't. And that's when they look at the fig tree, they know that it's in bloom. And so Jesus uses that to teach them a spiritual truth. And so he says when the people see the signs that he's mentioned in these verses, they'll know that the end is near. Well, what signs did he mention in these verses? Let's back up a little bit. And I think he mentions, he mentions a bunch. And most of those signs really are going to be fulfilled in a time that we call the tribulation. And this is not a tribulation message, and we're not in Daniel, and we're not in the book of the Revelation, but, but we're going to talk a little bit about the tribulation. And I want to give you an overview, kind of a real flyover view of these events that Jesus is talking about earlier in Mark 13. They're not going to be on the screen. I would, ho- I would love it if you took down a few notes, maybe even wrote some verses that I'm going to throw out there Um, some references so you can go back and look them up. But first he says there'll be many false messiahs. He says that in verse 6 and then verse, this is all in chapter 13. Verse 6 and then verse 21 and 22. And verse 6 says, many will come, this is Jesus talking, many will come in my name saying, I am he, and they will lead many astray. Don't you know that's happened over and over and over? Many will come in his name say, I am he, but they'll lead people away. He says there'll be wars and there'll be rumors of wars in verse 7. He says there'll be turmoil among the nations of the earth in verse 8. Verse 8 says, For nations will rise against nation and kingdom against kingdom, and there'll be earthquakes and there'll be famine. And he says that will be the beginning of the birth pains. And that's the birth pains of the end being near. And then he says that there'll be... uh, persecution of the people of God. These are all signs that the end is near. And don't be hollering at me about when is near. We're going to talk about that. To give you a sneak peek, the answer to when is near is, I don't know. But we're going to talk about it. But verse 9, there'll be persecution of the people of God. And in these, these four or five verses here, 9 through 13, he says, be on guard. And he says that they, and he's, remember, he's talking to his guys. He says, they will deliver you over to councils and you'll be beaten in the synagogues, he tells his men. You'll stand before governors and kings for my sake, he says, for Jesus' sake, to bear witness before them. And he says, and the gospel's got to be proclaimed 
to all nations. And when he says to all nations, does he mean some nations? No. He means all nations. The gospel's got to be proclaimed to every corner of the earth before this happens. And he says when they, when they bring you to trial and deliver you over, don't be anxious because I'll give you the right words to say. And he says brother will deliver brother against brother and, 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 and uh, the father will deliver his child and the children will rise against their parents and have them put to death. Doesn't this make you... Can't you hear his guys hearing him tell them this? And they're like, and you want me to follow you. But he's, he's painting the picture of what is going to happen, the signs that are coming when the end is near. He says, you'll be hated for my name's sake. But then he gives them, a, there's some hope, because he said, the last thing he says in verse 13, he says, and the one that endures till the end will be saved. And then another sign he gives us is that the Antichrist will come to power on the earth and will uh, declare himself to be God and will demand to be worshipped in verse 14. He says the earth will pass through a time of divine judgment. He says the heavenly bodies, the sun and the moon, are not going to give their light and that the universe will be plunged into darkness in verses 14 through 24 or 5. Or excuse me, in verse 24 and 25. He is describing the days of the tribulation, which is a time that is yet to come in the world that we're in. Even though that is in the future, y'all, we see these little pieces of the puzzle kind of being put together. And we've seen that for a long time. For a long, every generation. Every generation since this generation has seen little pieces of the puzzle. And the signs, they're everywhere. You've got to be spiritually completely blind not to see that. So there's clear signs. Clear signs. And then there are concluding signs in verse 30. In verse 30, Jesus says to them, Truly I... Y'all listen to this verse. It's tough. He says, Truly I say to you, this generation will not pass away until all these things take place. So Jesus is saying that generation that witnesses these things will not pass away until they've all been fulfilled. That is probably the most hotly debated verse ever. Like er ever. Because it makes, it, it makes everybody start putting time, uh, dates and times on it. And look, the, the, the true answer is uh, there's lots of views on all of the end time things. I can only tell you what I believe the entirety of Scripture speaks, the way it speaks to this. We've talked about this before. When you're studying the Scripture, don't lay your entire theology on one obscure verse. Don't do it. The full counsel of God is where you look. And so I'm going to tell you what I believe on all of these end time things, at least that we're going to discuss today, where I think all of the Bible lands. And I'm going to give you a couple of different um, viewpoints on, on this issue. Throughout the Old Testament, one of the symbols of the nation of Israel is the fig tree, over and over and over and over. The Old Testament refers to Israel as a fig tree. And so many people conclude that Jesus in this passage is comparing saying, uh, saying that when the fig tree or Israel is in bloom, that that generation that saw that will see the return of the Lord. Well, when did Israel become in full bloom? Many would say May the 14th in 1948. 1878 years after this, this passage when Israel became a nation for the first time in 2,000 years. But that was 70-something years ago. And a generation in the Scripture is about 30 or 40 years. So I don't necessarily think that that is it. 
Some people would say it was 1967 when Israel kicked the butt of all the Arab... Are you supposed to say that in church? They did, though. Of all the Arab countries who attacked them in the Six-Day War, 1967. People say that is when Israel, the fig tree, bloomed. Well, that was 50-something years ago, and so, again, a generation's 30 or 40. I don't necessarily know that that's it. Another school of thought holds that a generation in the Scripture, which also can refer to a, a wicked race, is referring to the spiritual condition of Israel. In other words, Jesus may be saying here that the Jews will continue in their unbelief until I come. That, that kind of fits with the Scripture. That kind of fits with, kind of with the entirety of Scripture. Um, that he will, uh, and if you look, well, if you look, you would say that in Israel now, like a fig tree in late spring, that the leaves are in bloom, but there's no fruit. Because in mass, Israel has not bowed the knee to the Messiah, to their Messiah. So they're really not in, in full bloom yet. I think that Jesus is saying in verse 30 that the appearance of the signs over time, the many signs, is a signal that the end is near. I think it's as simple as that. I don't know what near means. I, I say I wish I do, but you know, I don't. I, I don't. I'm not concerned with all of that. But I said a few minutes ago that pieces, all the pieces are in place and they're getting in place. Everything's lining up the way he said because he's coming. And the question is, are you ready? The question is not when, what day and time. The question is, are me and you ready? So there are these, these concluding signs and then there are confirmed signs. Look at verse 31. It says, Heaven and earth will pass away, but my words will not pass. And that verse is just really a simple confirmation that everything that, that Jesus says will come to pass. The Word of God is an eternal book. It, is, it, is, it will stand forever. All the promises in God's Word will be met. Every prophecy in God's Word will be met. What does that mean for me and you? It ought to remind us to take the words of the Lord to heart. What He says will happen, guess what? It will happen. What He promises He will do, guess what? He will do. He will. Now, it may not be in my timing. I don't want to be so as egotistical as to say I'm the one that dictates when God's going to do something. I mean, it's absurd. But what He says He's going to do, He's going to do. And so really this call in this verse, I believe, is a call for me and you to take the Word of God seriously. It's a call for me and you to believe the Bible, to believe it. It's trustworthy. Read it. Study on it. Pray over it. Because it's trustworthy and believe it. And so in that book, different things. In that book He says He's the only way to the Father. He says He's the only way to salvation. Does only mean some? No. He is the only, the Word says, He is the only way. Then He is the only way. Contrary to whatever you would hear in the streets and on the TV, He is the only way. He says there is a heaven to gain and a hell to avoid. That means heaven is real. And that means, you know what? That means hell is real. Craziest thing, I read a study one time that George Barna, who does Christian research, he said that 80% of professing Christians believe in heaven. I'm not sure why that's not 100. But he says 80% of professing Christians believe in heaven. 40% believe in hell. Are you kidding me? How can you believe in heaven and not believe in hell? I mean, it makes no sense. The Word says it's real. 
He also says that one day he is coming back. John 14. Look at John 14, 3. It ain't going to be on the screen. John 14, 3 says this. It's Jesus now. And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will cut. Do you think he's going and preparing a place for you? Say, yes, he is. He says, if I do that, I will come back and take you to be with me that you also may be where I am. He is telling us he's coming back and he's going to take us with him. That promise is just as sure as the sun came up this morning and as sure as it's going down and setting tonight. It is. And I, he's coming back. And I don't think that we, I don't think we take that seriously enough. I know I don't, never have in my whole life. And that's, I, I just don't think about his second coming. I don't. And do you know there's far more places in Scripture, far more, that speak to his second coming than his first. But I think we look at it like it's some vain, veiled superstition or like it's some urban legend or we don't think about it. And maybe I'm a freak and weird and, and I'm the only one that doesn't think about it. Maybe y'all go to bed every night and wake up every morning thinking about it. I just, I just never have. But you know what? It is for real. He is coming back. If he, if he can walk alive out of a cave that he was put in dead and be really alive, then he can surely come back. And it is for real. So ready or not, he's coming. He's coming. And so there's these signs of his coming, and then there is the secrecy of his coming in verse 32. Verse 32 says, But concerning the day or the hour, no one knows, not even the angels in heaven, nor the Son, but only the Father. So it's a hidden time. He is coming, but nobody knows when. And I don't care who says what, what they say, when they say it, they don't know. I don't care if it is a preacher. I don't care if it is Nostradamus. I don't care who it is. They don't know. Jesus doesn't know. Are you so special that you know more than Jesus knows? He tells us in this verse he don't know. He says the Father knows, but nobody else knows. Think about it. That is right. That is right. The point he's making is that it's absurd to try to set dates and times and places of the Lord's return. And it's happened all throughout the, the years. Everybody remembers the December 12, 2012 thing. Some of you, most of you are not old enough for this, but there was a book written in 1987 called 88 Reasons Why Jesus Will Return in 1988. September 11th, 12th, or 13th was going to be one of those three days that he was coming back in 1988. And he didn't come back. So the guy that wrote the book, who was a NASA engineer, by the way, the guy that wrote the book, when September the 14th rolled around, he said, no, 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 I was a year off. God told me 88, but he meant 89. And then I want to say, dude, you are an idiot. If God actually spoke to us, I don't think he would make a mistake. We well, wrote another book that he was going to come back in 1989. Well, 1989 rolls around, he didn't come back. And, and you know what? Only a fool, only a fool would do that, and only a fool would believe it. Don't buy into that junk, because it's junk. Now, as we're talking through that sort of a subject in, this, in his second coming, he's really talking about the second part of his second coming. And here's where we get into some places that, <clears throat> that people don't necessarily disagree on the, on the timing of the events. Not the dates, but on the chronology of it. But I'm going to tell you what I believe, and I'm going to tell you what I think the entirety of the Scripture says. 
And he's talking about the time here that he's going to come to defeat his enemies. Jesus, come to defeat his enemies and rule on the earth. But you know he's coming before that. He's not going to put his feet on the earth, but he's coming in the clouds. And, and that's the, kind of the first part of his second coming. We call that event the rapture. Y'all say that with me on three. One, two, three. Rapture. It's John 14. It's 1 Thessalonians chapter 4. It's 1 Corinthians chapter 15. In that rapture, he's going to come and return in the clouds above the earth, and he's going to come and, 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 and call his redeemed to him. Every believer in history that died in the faith will be with him when he comes, and he'll raise their, their bodies from the grave and reunite their body and spirit and take them to heaven, and he'll call every living believer at the time will be caught up. The Scripture uses the words caught up in the air to be with him. And I am ready, y'all, and I'm looking forward to it. I am looking for, I don't know when, but I'm looking forward to that. I sure hope that I don't wake up and Susan's gone and I'm still laying in the bed left behind. But, but I'm ready for that. And that unlike when he comes back, the, the kind of the second part, there is not any warning signs of the rapture. One second, the believers are here, and the next second, they're, they're caught up in heaven or in the sky with Christ. Those that are left behind are going to be left to face the terror, and don't kid yourself, terror of the tribulation. And so I'm telling you, if you're going to be ready for anything, be ready for the rapture. If you're going to be looking for anything, be looking for Jesus coming in the clouds. And if you miss the rapture, you're probably not going to be alive when he comes the second time. And if you are, he's coming as a judge and not your Savior. And your only hope, I say this every Sunday, today's the day. If you don't know him today, today's the day. Because you don't know if he's coming back tonight, today, five minutes from now, and you don't know what's going to happen when you walk out there in the streets. Nobody has the vaguest idea. So today is the day. So it's a hidden time. And then it's also a heavenly time. Because the only one that knows the timing of the Lord's coming is the one that ordained it from the beginning. God knows when. Jesus says he doesn't know when. God knows. And he, and he knows because he planned the precise instant that Christ will return to the earth. And I think that he keeps it a secret. I, I, it even sounds silly to say it that way. But I think he keeps it a secret because he doesn't want, want us running around acting like a bunch of idiots on December the 11th, you know, waiting for it to happen. I, in a frenzy, I don't think he wants that to be. He wants us to look for him every day, and he wants us to live for him every day. He wants, y'all hear this, he wants us to live like he might return at any moment and work for him like he's never coming back. That is what he wants us to do. The fact is, he's not posting it on Instagram that the end is near. He's not advertising on the TV or on Facebook that the end is near. He's not dropping flyers out of heaven that's saying that the end is near. He's not texting everybody and saying that the end is near. He's not doing... These are the only warnings that we're going to get in the Scripture. And they're true, and we need to be looking for that. And I'll, te I'll tell you, the stage is being set. It's been being set since the cross. The stage began... The, the truth of the matter, the end times began at the cross. They, they did. And the stage is being set over time. We are probably, 
and I'm not, I, I don't, don't start throwing stuff at me, but I would think that we are probably near the end of human history. I don't know what near means. I don't know. 20 years, 50 years, 100 years, 500, 1,000 years. I don't know. You know why? I don't know. I don't, I'm unconcerned with when. It, it, it means nothing to me what the date is. I just want to live like he's coming before I finish this sentence. And I want to work for him like he's never coming back. If that is our focus, the, the, the date and the time and the hour, it just is meaningless. The question is, are you ready? And the question, I look at myself in the mirror and say, am I ready? So we've got these signs of his coming, we've got the secrecy of his coming, and then we have the seriousness of his coming. Look at these four or five verses starting in verse 33. And I want you to look for a word or two that are, that, that are all over the, these verses. Be on guard, keep awake. For you do not know when the time will come. It is like a man going on a journey when he leaves home and puts his servants in charge, each with his work, and commands the doorkeeper to stay awake. Therefore, stay awake. For you don't know when the master of the house will come, in the evening or at midnight or when the rooster crows or in the morning, lest he come and find you asleep. And what I say to you, I say to all, stay awake. What's the magic word? Awake. Stay awake. Be on guard. So we're challenged to stay awake. That word's four times in there. He wants us to be on alert. Well, what does it mean to stay awake? It's the idea of the, of the guy keeping the guard post. He's pulling guard duty. What is he doing when he's pulling guard duty? <clears throat> he's protecting the country. Talking military-wise, he's protecting his guys. And what is, how does he protect his guys? He keeps his eyes open. He keeps his ears open. He keeps his heart open. He keeps his hands ready. He keeps his feet ready because he's alert and he's watching and he's staying awake. Can he do that if he's asleep? No. He can't do it when he's asleep. And that prophecy there primarily is for believing Jews during the tribulation period. There's a word in there for us too. And we're living in the days, the days that are leading up to the rapture of the church. But we've got to spend our days watching and staying awake and working for Him and spreading the gospel. Because He says one of the signs of the times is the, the gospel's got to be proclaimed to all the nations. It's what we do. Y'all, it's what we do as believers. He is coming and we've got to be on alert. And don't kid yourself. Don't kid yourself. The enemy's finding ways to infiltrate our churches and knock us off task. He's finding a way to infiltrate our families, to bust husband from wife and to bust kids from, from parents and parents from kids. He, that's what he does. He's the prince of this earth and that is what he does. He goes down there and they have their little demon staff meetings and they, they don't really, don't like go say, he preached heresy. They're out there seeking to do what? To kill you. Remember, shank the devil. He seeks to destroy you. He seeks to slit your throat. He seeks to separate husband from wife and all of that stuff. So don't, be, don't kid yourself like that's not taking place. But if you look at this man in, this, in these few verses, he, he, in verse 34, where we're challenged. You know what, though? Let me even back up. Here's another thing the devil says to you. He says you got time. Here's another deception. He says you got time. Just do whatever it is that makes you feel good right now because you got time. You got to, You want to talk about all that Jesus stuff? 
do that tomorrow and go have fun today. Do that tomorrow and go do whatever today because you got time. Well, you know what? You may not have time. He may come before I finish the sentence, and we don't know what's going to happen to us. I told you all last week, a good friend of mine, Brandon Whitus, who I would hope and pray that all of us would pray for him. He was on the staff here uh, four, three, four, five years ago, 36 or 7 years old, has got colon cancer. You know, you don't know. Pray for him and his wife, Brooke, and their kids. Pray for them. Uh, he had surgery on Tuesday. Um, so we don't know what's coming. We don't know what's coming. And so we are challenged to stay awake in this time, and then we're challenged to work. Verse 34 in this passage describes, he describes himself as a house owner. And, and this house owner leaves his business affairs to his guys that are there. And he tells them, while I'm gone, hear the metaphor in here, while I'm gone, you got work to do. While I'm gone, you need to work diligently. While I'm gone, everybody's got a task to do. You and I, we have tasks. When he saves us, he saved us for a task. He saved us for a task. He gave each of us an assignment. In other words, he gave you a job and you a job and you a job and he gave me a job to do. And our duty is to faithfully do what he called us to do while he's away on his trip. That's what that passage is saying. And so there's two or three questions in light of those thoughts do you know what the Lord would have for you to do? Do you know what He wants you to do? If you don't know what He wants you to do, are you willing to find out what He wants you to do? How do you do that? Get in the Word. How do you do that? Get on your knees and pray. Ask Him. Talk to Him. He's your daddy. He wants to talk to you about that. And when you figure that out, when, he, when you discern what it is that He wants you to do, then are you willing to do it? Are you willing to do it? Y'all, we got a lot to do Acts 1.8 gives us the marching orders. It's Christ's last word on the planet. Last words are lasting words. What does he tell us to do? Go be my witness. That is what the church does. That is what we are supposed to do. Church on the trail. That is what we're supposed to... That is why the name is the name, y'all. That is why. It's not some cool name because we're by a trail, although it is cool that we're by a trail. We're on the trail because Columbus, Georgia is our Jerusalem. And he tells us what to do. Clearly he tells us what to do. And so let's stay faithful until he comes. And so we're challenged to work. And then lastly, we're challenged to wait. And he says in verse 37, he says, And what I say to you, I say to all, stay awake. And, and y'all, when the scripture says all, does it mean a few? No, it says all. He says, what I say to you, he's talking to his four guys. What I say to you, I say to all, stay awake. Stay awake and be alert. And he's, he, he's making it personal. And, and even though this prophecy is, is, it may be to the nation of Israel, he's speaking to every single person that has ever read that text. He's speaking to every single person that has ever breathed light. Breathe light. Breathe life. He's speaking to all of us. And so the question is, it really is, in other words, what do we do? What is his will? Um related to his coming. You know, in light of his coming, what does that mean for me and you? If the rapture were to happen today, would you go up to meet him in the clouds? Or would you stay behind to face the wrath of the Antichrist and the tribulation? That's a question, a real question, a sure enough question. Will the second coming, will his second coming be the best day ever? Or will his second coming be the worst 
day ever. If you miss the rapture and you happen to survive the wrath of God and the hatred of the Antichrist and the horrors of the tribulation, when Jesus returns as king, y'all, he's returning as a judge. He is returning as a judge. And I'm gonna say, I say this like I say it every Sunday. The, the only hope that we have, and there's huge hope in this, huge hope, is to the, let today be the day. If you don't know him, let today be the day. And then if he comes back this evening, guess what? You're called up. And it don't matter if you have been a believer. It doesn't matter if you said yes to his offer five seconds ago. There's not some, you're not in some remedial section of heaven. You know, you're not like in the rain cloud and the people that have been Christians for 30 years are over here in the blue sky. That, that's, not, that's not how it is. Y'all, it's not how it is. It's the parable of the workers. You know, are you ready for his coming? If he were to return today, would he find you faithfully serving him or serving yourself? You know, would he find you skating around the edges and holding hands with the world? Would he find you doing his will or doing as you will? So my challenge is to look, all of us, myself included, to look at ourselves in light of our walk, in light of our walk with him. Is the walk the way it ought to be? Is there even a walk? And if there's not, today needs to be the day that there is. And so here's what we take away. He's coming whether we're ready or not. And if you aren't ready, get ready. If you don't know him, get to know him today. And I don't know where a message like this finds you. I know where it was very convicting for me all week long. Very convicting. So I don't know where it, where it really finds you. If I know this. If you've never trusted Him as your Savior, today needs to be the day that you do. And it's not some complicated um, formula. It's not some, you don't have to have a PhD. It's not like you're going to have a test and you've got to pass the test. The reality is you land at the foot of the cross, you acknowledge that you are a sinner, you confess that, you believe in your heart and your mind that He saved you, and you're saved. That is the most beautiful thing ever, ever. What is that, what's the, um, what is the content of that faith? The content of that faith is this. He really died on that cross, and His death on that cross really did take care of my sin. It really did. Like, it really did. And then he really was dead. And he really was put in a grave. And it really was sealed. And he really walked out really alive. Like really alive. And if that really happened, if that really happened, and you really do believe that, y'all, that's a game changer. It changes everything. It changes everything. So that's the content of the faith. It's not just faith for faith. You're not saved because you have faith in whatever. You're saved because you have a faith in that little 45-second description of Christ. And so let today be the day that that death and resurrection counts for you because it can, regardless of what happened yesterday and 10 years ago. They ain't got nothing to do with it. Nothing to do with it other than it made it necessary. That's the only thing you and I bring to the table is the sin that made the table necessary. Y'all pray with me. Lord, we love you today. Lord, I thank you that you're a saving God. Lord, I thank you that even in this building today that you saved somebody. I know you did. And whether we find out about it or whether we don't find out about it, Lord, they're not, they're, they're not in, there's not different degrees of heaven. Lord, all I know is when I get there, I'm going to be with them. 
And Lord, I know that I'm going to be with you, worshiping you for eternity. What a glorious day it would be, honestly, if the rapture was right now. What a glorious, best day ever if it happened right now. And so, Lord, I thank you that you loved us enough in the middle of us being unlovable to to fulfill the promises that you make in your scripture. And so, Lord, we love you in Jesus' name. Amen.